You're listening to The Brook in Madison, Alabama. Good morning, everyone. Good to see you today. Um, We're going to be back in the book of Exodus this morning. Um, I don't know if you saw the movie The Avengers Infinity Wars. Um, I said, like, I think last week, uh, I'm not one of those people that likes to spoil movies, but if you haven't seen it by now, you've had, you've had your chance. Um, so um, I thought the movie was over, like, and the good guys had won. And then I realized the movie was not over. And if you've seen it, you know what I'm talking about. Um, if you haven't, I'll just stop there and not ruin it for you. Um, but I was like, yes. Uh, it's over, and then it wasn't. And of course, the way it ended, it was like, oh, okay, yeah, I get it. Now this is setting up for the next one that they're going to make. And it's always setting up for the next one. And I thought about this in the first service. There may wind up being as many Avengers movies as there are left behind books. Um, possibly. We'll, we'll wait and see. But, you know, it, it can really, really like tug at you. It can like... Um, empty everything out of you when you think the movie's over, when you think the game is over, and it's not. Um, Another example, uh, like two years ago, Tennessee was playing Georgia, and that stupid quarterback, Jacob Esom, he just ripped my heart out, man. 14 seconds left, throws this bomb, and Ridley catches it, and Georgia's going to win, you know. And then with four seconds left... Josh Dobbs heaves the ball 50 yards, and Jawan Jennings makes the catch. Um, My son almost jumped off the balcony in the loft of our house. I screamed so loud that my wife will still tell you about the heart attack that she almost had because she was in the shower and thought someone had just died. But I thought the game was over, and man, I could not have gotten any lower. And then, bam, this happens, and I'm running through my house screaming, it's great. Um, sometimes that can happen. You think it's over and it's not. The, the book of Exodus, if you walk through it and you look at all of these significant moments and events that happen through this story, it's incredible. I mean, it defines epic drama. Uh, let's just go through the little or the highlights, if you will. This baby named Moses is born. Um, Pharaoh's going to kill all the Hebrew babies. So how does his mom save him? She makes a basket and puts him in a river. And then the princess finds him and unknowingly gives him back to his mom to take care of him. So he is a Hebrew, but then he winds up growing up in the palace as one of Pharaoh's sons. Later on in life, out of anger... He sees an Egyptian um, taking, uh, taking things out on one of his people, on the Hebrews, and he accidentally kills this Egyptian. So he runs into the desert. Then, like 40 years later, after being a shepherd for all these years, God comes to speak to him. And how does he speak to him? He comes as a burning bush. That's not being consumed and says, Moses, you're going to be my guy. You're going to go back into Egypt. You're going to rescue my people. And Moses goes. And so then God sends 10 plagues onto the people of Egypt 
that are like mind-blowing. After the 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally says, please go get out of my country. I don't ever want to see you again. And so Moses begins leading the people out. There's 2 million of them. And they all begin moving. And then Pharaoh decides, no, I changed my mind. I'm not going to let them go. Let's go get them. And so they're trapped between Pharaoh and the Red Sea. What are you going to do? Hope you're a good swimmer. No, God takes the sea and moves it out of the way and his people walk across on dry land. And then God drowns the entire Egyptian army, Pharaoh included. Have you had enough yet? It keeps going. They get out in the wilderness. They arrive at the mountain. God tells Moses, come up the mountain. I'm going to tell you how I want my people to live. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. There are a lot of times in this story that if you hear the story on your own, you could think, on its own, you could think, that has to be it, right? That was awesome. God's not done with awesome. This morning, you could argue that we're going to reach the climax in Exodus 24. Exodus 24. Turn there if you would. God has given his people his commandments. He's given them the laws of love. He's given them the rules, regulations that go along with it. And it it, it is exhaustive if you read from Exodus 20 through 23. But now God is going to come and he's going to make a covenant with his people to seal this relationship. And it will be based on and rooted in the blood of the covenant. Okay? Exodus 24, beginning in verse 1. It says, Then he said to Moses, Come up to the Lord, you and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, the 70 elders of Israel, and worship from afar. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord, but the others shall not come near, and the people will not come up with him. So God tells Moses to come up the mountain again, all right? But this time he's to bring his brother Aaron, Aaron's sons, Nadab and Abihu, and the 70 elders of Israel. However, they were only supposed to come, they were only allowed to come so close. Only Moses could come all the way up. Why? Because he was the mediator. And here's a truth that you and I need to understand. Only the mediator could come fully into the presence of God on behalf of the people. Okay? We need to understand this truth. Only the mediator, the one that God had chosen, could come fully into his presence on behalf of God's people. Um, If you're using the Bible app this morning, um, we're now going to look at Exodus 24, verses 3 through 8. Uh, In the events there, it says Exodus 20, but that's Exodus 24. So back in Exodus 24, verse 3, it says, Moses came and told the people all the words of the Lord and all the rules. And all the people answered with one voice and said, All the words that the Lord has spoken, we will do. And Moses wrote down all the words of the Lord. He rose early in the morning and built an altar at the foot of the mountain and 12 pillars, one for each tribe of Israel. And he sent young men of the people of Israel who offered burnt offerings and sacrificed peace offerings of oxen 
to the Lord. And Moses took half of the blood and put it in basins, and half of the blood he threw against the altar. Then he took the book of the covenant and read it in the hearing of the people. And they said, all that the Lord has spoken, we will do, and we will be obedient. And Moses took the blood and threw it on the people and said, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you in accordance with all these words. So Moses comes back down and they have a worship service. Um, This is possibly one of the first ones, uh, first worship services. And to call the people to worship, what does Moses do? He reads the word of the Lord. It says he reads all the words that the Lord had given him, had spoken. But then Moses reads it again. And again, the people respond. Moses reads it the first time. They say, we understand all that the Lord has said. We will do all the Lord has said. Then Moses reads all the words of the Lord again, and they respond again. There's debate that maybe Moses is repeating this event, like it happened and he's just repeating that it happened. Um, I don't see any reason at all in commentaries or context to believe anything other than exactly what it says here, that Moses read the word of God, the people responded, and then he read it again. But I want you to notice in the first declaration there, what's made is a, a, a declaration from the people of understanding. We understand what the Lord has said. But then they, they repeat this declaration again. We will do all that the Lord has said. And then they reemphasize and say, and we will be obedient. This is the people acknowledging, we fully understand what you are saying, Lord, and we will obey. We are placing our lives and our obedience before you. It says then that Moses, he wrote down all the words of the Lord. This is very highly likely, right here in this instance, um, when Scripture began um, being written down. This is possibly the origin of the Scriptures. This is possibly when uh, Moses sat down and began writing out Genesis and on. So he writes down the words of the Lord. But then it says he rose early and built an altar. First thing Moses does when he's about to initiate this covenant that God says, I'm going to make with you, he builds an altar. I want you to notice that at this point in time, Israel has no temple, right? Like they don't even have any land. There is no temple. But at this point, there's not even a tabernacle. They haven't even erected anything on a temporary basis to put up, to worship. But if you go back all the way to Abraham, there's always an altar being built. Why? Because the altar represents the presence of God. It represents the place where Abraham, where Isaac, where Moses, where Joshua, where you and I can go and physically bow ourselves before the presence of God. Now we understand God's not any more there for us than he is here. 
if you decide to make those steps over there an altar and go and bow down, God's not any more there than he is over there. Because we have been given the Spirit of God to dwell within us. But sometimes we need a place where we can literally prostrate ourselves before God in physically acknowledging our worship of Him. So Moses builds an altar, and then they send out young men to make these offerings. First, there was the burnt offerings, and then there was the peace offerings. What's the difference? Well, burnt offerings, they would have taken an animal, they would have slaughtered it, and then they would have placed it on the altar, and they would have lit it on fire. And they would have let it burn until the entire animal was completely consumed. There would have been absolutely nothing left. The representation here that's being made is that this is the full atonement for the sins of the people. Just as the fire has completely consumed this oxen, um, I am completely consuming the penalty for your sin because of the sacrifice that you made. So then they make the peace offering. And in this case, the animal isn't burned. It's killed and cooked and eaten. But before it's eaten, something has to happen. They drain all the blood out of the animal. Some of you in the room right now, you're a little bit like me, and you're starting to get a little squeamish. Just even saying that word, blood. But hang on. Don't pass out or anything. So they drain the blood, and it says Moses puts half of it in basins and then throws the other half on the altar. This draining of the blood, this was possibly the most important and significant part of the sacrifice and the offering. Why? Because only the shedding of blood could bring peace between God and the people. That's it. Um, they were only able to eat this meal of consecration because the blood had been spilled. The, the blood said, this covenant is a matter of life and death. There's no greater commitment that could be made on behalf of God or the people. So going back into verse 6. Again, it says Moses took half the blood and he put it in basins. We're going to save that for something else. And then he takes the other half and throws it on the altar. What kind of wacky thing is that to do? You build an altar to represent the presence of God and bowing before God, and then you throw blood on it? Why would Moses do this? This is showing that the covenant, the relationship between God and the people, the forgiveness being extended from God to the people, all of this begins with God. He's the initiator. The covenant's being made because God initiated it. The forgiveness is being given because God initiated it. It all begins with God. Look at verse 8. Moses says to the people, Behold the blood of the covenant that the Lord has made with you. This wasn't Moses' idea. It all begins with God. So we've got half of the blood left. It's over in these basins what happens next? This is where if I had been an Israelite out in the wilderness, I don't really know how I would have handled this. Moses took 
hyssop and olive branches and began dipping it in the blood and he began throwing it on the people. Why in the world would you do this? Well, the blood that has brought you peace and forgiveness, the the blood that has brought peace between you and God, Moses threw it on the people so they would now understand the blood covers you. The blood covers you. Alec Motyer is an Old Testament theologian, and he says this, The same blood which has made peace with God will keep peace with God. As they walk in the way of obedience, the blood is available for a people committed to obey. But as they stumble and fall, so the covenant blood will still be available for them. So, church family, understand Moses was the mediator of the old covenant. Okay, Um, The old covenant was given to show us the way to live. God saying, this is how I desire for my people to live. But it was also given so that while we see the way to live, we also clearly see that on our own, we could never actually live it out. We can't do this on our own. Sacrifices were made to temporarily atone for sin and make peace. At the same time, those sacrifices could never ultimately atone for our sins or ultimately make peace with God. The bottom line is we needed a new covenant and we needed a new mediator. And thank you, Lord, that we have one. His name is Jesus. Turn to Hebrews chapter 9. Hebrews chapter 9, beginning in verse 11. It says, When Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, Jesus entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal Redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? When it says how much more, this is not asking a question. This is making a declaration. Verse 15. Therefore, Christ is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since a death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Where a will is involved... The death of the one who made it must be established. For if a will takes effect, a will takes effect only at death, since it is not in force as long as the one who made it is alive. Therefore, not even the first covenant was inaugurated without blood. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of calves and goats, 
with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, This is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tent and all the vessels used in worship. Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified with blood. Why? Because without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. So it was necessary for the copies of the heavenly things to be purified with these rites, but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. The blood of goats, the blood of calves was not going to ultimately, eternally solve the problem. We needed a better, perfect sacrifice. Verse 24 For Christ has entered not into the holy places made with hands, not into these temporary places on earth, which are copies of the true things, but Christ has entered into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. Nor was it to offer himself repeatedly as the high priest enters the holy places every year with blood not his own. If Christ had to do it that way, then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes judgment. So Christ, having been offered once to bear the sins of many, will appear a second time. Not to deal with sin anymore, but to save those who are eagerly waiting for him. Friends, Moses accomplished temporarily what Jesus accomplished for all time. Moses and the covenant and the blood were pointing us forward to what Jesus would accomplish ultimately, eternally on our behalf. In Mark chapter 14, when Jesus is having the Lord's Supper with his disciples. He's eating with them the night before he's going to die. He breaks the bread. And then Jesus takes the cup and he says to them, this is my blood of the new covenant shed for you. Back to Exodus 24. Look at verse 9. Now we have to think about what has the blood of this covenant accomplished. Verse 9, then Moses and Aaron, Nadab and Abihu, and 70 of the elders of Israel went up, and they saw the God of Israel. There was under his feet, as it were, a pavement of sapphire stone, like the very heaven for clearness. And God did not lay his hand on the chief men of the people of Israel. They beheld God and ate and drank. Up to this point, only Moses was allowed to even come near God. Look back at verse 2. Moses alone shall come near to the Lord. But now the offerings have been made. The sacrifices have been made. The covenant has been sealed and the people have been sprinkled with the blood of the covenant. And so now access to God has been granted. And it tells us here in verse 10 that they saw God. Now, 
Moses and Aaron and Nadab and Abihu and the 70 elders, they must have been so bowed down before God that all they saw was the bottom of the reflection of God. Because that's all the description that we get. That's probably all that they could handle up to this point. And even later after this, the Lord has said, if anyone even touches the bottom of the mountain where my presence rests, you will be struck dead. You can't handle my presence. But right here, right now, the Lord is saying, come. Come. And then look at verse 11. Because see, if you come into the presence of a holy God as an unholy person, you deserve death. And it says that God didn't lay a hand on the people. And then what did they do? They ate and drank. They, They feasted in the presence of God. Right here, Exodus 24, this is salvation. This is God saying, this is what it's going to look like. Israel's elders, they were granted this exceptional privilege of seeing that glory in advance. This is like the Mount of Transfiguration in Exodus. God gave them a sneak preview, if you will, a glimpse of his majesty This was to show them what it means to be saved. You can come into my presence and you can dine. You can eat, you can rejoice. This is the story of salvation. Moses and the elders started at a great, great distance. You can't get anywhere close. They were separated from God by sin. But then God invited them to come. He invited them to come into his presence. He gave them his word. He had toned for their sin through the blood of the covenant. And then he brought them into his presence where they could gaze upon his glory. This is a foretaste of heaven. But it was only temporary. Now go back to Hebrews chapter 10. What Moses did temporarily, Jesus did for all time. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he has opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Friends, in Exodus, we find not only a picture of salvation, but we find this foretaste, this picture of, of ourselves. Because this is us. We were separated from God by our sin. And Romans 3.23 tells us that not one of us in this room, not one of us on this planet are exempt. 
we've all fallen short. We've all sinned. And then there's some even worse news in Romans 6.23 that the wages and the consequences and the penalty of that sin is death. But then there's the good news. It could be the possibly the greatest news in all the world that Romans 6.23 doesn't end there. The wages of that sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Because God has demonstrated his love for you and me and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God, in his mercy, atoned for our sin through the blood of the new covenant, his own son, Jesus Christ. And so, friends, because of this... Since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, let us draw near with a heart of faith. Because of Jesus, we have been reconciled back to the Father, and we can come boldly into his presence as his children. Thank you, Lord. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to The Brook. If you'd like more information about our church or what it means to follow Christ, you can visit our website at thebrookchurch.com.